Hello, welcome to the Plus Feature Podcast with me, James Nepal Singh. I'm so excited to bring this episode to you. Join me as I coach Andrew Ranroop, who is one of, if not the, best tailors in the world. He was the first black tailor on Savile Row, and his highly confidential client list is much sought after. He tailored five suits for Princess Diana and now travels the world to fit his clients. We touch on a lot of themes that will no doubt resonate with a lot of you. How to kickstart your business after a two-year pandemic lull? To what extent are you pivoting effectively? How are you challenging your own arguably outdated ways of doing things when the world has moved on? It was the first time Andrew's been coached and I set out the usual coaching ground rules before we started. Let's get right in. So, Andrew, thank you for joining the Plus Future podcast. For listeners at home, would you mind telling us a bit about yourself, please? Oh, my name is Andrew Ramroop. I have, uh, I'm, a, I'm a father. I'm a father of a three-year-old son, Andrew Jr., and a father of Daniel Arinaldo, uh, who is just nine months old. And my wife is Daniela Laura and she's from Colombia. So I'm a very, very happily married father of two boys and really, really enjoying my life. Excellent. And in your professional life, I've heard that you're one of the best tailors in the world. Well, you know, it's often said that it's what other people say about you than what you say about yourself that matters. And uh, to hear that there's a, a news out there that I am one of the best tailors in the world I mean, that, that gives me a great deal of pleasure. You know, I'm managing director of Morris Sedwell Limited, a company that's been started in 1938. I started at Morris Sedwell in 1974, and I bought the company in 1988. So I am CEO owner of that company. I'm also principal of the Savile Row Academy, which is a learning institution. And the objective of that learning institution is to pass on knowledge, experience, and motivate and inspire aspiring artisans in the field of sartorial art, and particularly men's bespoke tailoring, to attain the highest standards. Excellent. So you're a tailor and you're also an educator, which is fantastic. So thank you for joining the podcast. What bump in the road would you like to explore with me today? I think there's been many bumps along the way, perhaps bump in the road, yes, but if you're coming from Trinidad, it'd be potholes, it wouldn't be bumps. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't want to make Trinidad famous for being the pothole capital of the world, but it's, there's some realism in that. Uh, bumps on the road, I think perhaps the most recent bumps that we have had is the COVID-19 and that went on to COVID-20 and 21 and 22 and whatever else, you know, it just went on and on and on. And we had no business because my tailoring service extends to customers in 60 countries. And 75 to 80% of my service is actually exported. Now, when you so heavily an export service, it means that you cannot travel, your customers cannot travel, businesses closed down in the UK, and we were literally closed for a year and a half. And people still didn't have the confidence to travel. I certainly did not have the confidence to travel. So for two years, we had no business. So that, that was ju not just a bump. That was a, 
a huge mountain to climb and then to try and get up to the summit and get back down again and, and feel that you, you're plain sailing down the hill from then took a lot of challenges and a lot of courage to be able to sustain a business and especially to sustain a business that actually provides suits, clothing, outerwear, shirts, ties, Zoom meetings, you know, virtual meetings, they all became the norm and uh, people were down dressing. And there was a real threat that down dressing would affect the tie industry, down dressing would affect the suit industry. And that was a real fear. And I, I really thought, you know, perhaps I should uh, retire. I'm 70. And I think, you know, at 70, I should stop stop working at a shop, stop being a shopkeeper, so to speak. But I felt that, you know, I have been through so many bumps in regard to recessions that probably turned into almost depressions, really challenging times in the economic crisis, uh, world economic crisis or world financial crisis. You know, I've been through so many bumps. So I decided to, to have a conversation with myself as to there have been so many challenges through the decades that I have been in, in tailoring. I started tailoring way back in 1966. There have been so many challenges, and we'll probably get over this one. And that was one of the, the really, really big challenges that we face. The other challenge is that um, landlords in Savile Row are quietly navigating the demise of Savile Row as a street of tailors. It's a street that has been the pinnacle of sartorial excellence for hundreds of years. And now we have landlords that bringing in uh, ready-to-wear industry, uh, cleaners, financial services, restaurants. They've changed the profile of Savile almost completely. Even the tailors that were there moved out, they've retired, their business have closed down, they couldn't afford the rents. You've got the tailors actually merging together You've got the business rates, it's almost a, a pound for pound. So if you're paying a 200,000 pounds rent, your rates is not far short of 200,000 pounds. So, you know, you've got, before you can open the doors, you've got to find in the region of 350,000 pounds just, to, just to, to pay the rent and rates. And so it's become very, very, very expensive to be on Savile Row. And you really want your customer to feel as though that customer is paying for the value of the service that you're offering them and not that they're paying your rent and your business rates. You know, they, they want to know that they're getting real value for money. And that is very important. How do you navigate that story to your customer that it is the product that has the value and it's not the other outgoings that you have? So those are... Those are some challenging situations that, that we, as a company, Morris Sedwell and the Savile Row Academy, has had to try and overcome. And how I've done it? Well, yeah, we've managed to be going along the right pathway. And uh, I think I'm very optimistic for the future. Thank you for that. So, Andrew, you mentioned two bumps, or as you said, mountains. The first was COVID. 
So you effectively had no business in 60 countries for two years. And it required a lot of determination and courage. And you questioned whether you would retire. But as you said, you've had many of those bumps before with recessions and depressions. And you survived and you thought, um, we can go through this. And the second one was the, the changing landscape of Savile Row. How you're saying the landlords are becoming a bit more demanding and the nature of Savile Row is changing. So as you hear yourself talking about all of those experiences, what strikes you as the most important thing for us to explore today? I think the most important thing to explore is opportunities for the future and how do we learn from our experiences. And if we learn from our, from our experiences, I think they are they're good experiences. If we don't learn from them and we keep on doing the same thing again and again and again, then of course, you know, that's a mistake. So it's really how do we learn from the experiences we've had and how do we navigate the future? So you're looking for, from this conversation, opportunities for the future and how we can learn from past experiences. So what would be different at the end of this conversation if we fully explore these opportunities and ideas that you're currently wrestling with? I think what would be different after this conversation, we don't know what the outcome will be, but what would be different? I would probably, to use a proverb, I'll be walking taller. I would feel better. I will, I will feel a lot more optimistic to face the challenges ahead. And that is what I want to be. I want to have a feeling of comfort that we're going somewhere. We, we're going forward and upwards. So if I'm getting this correctly, you want a sense of optimism by the end of this conversation where you're going to walk taller and you're going to be a bit more comfortable uh, with the path that we're going to explore. It's a sense of optimism, but aligned with realism. I'm a believer in setting myself achievable goals, achieving that and then setting myself another achievable goal. And as I continue to set myself an achievable goal, whether it's a higher achievable goal or another achievable goal, that I, at the end of it, I feel as though I'm achieving as I go along. It's having a vision that you're never really getting to that vision, but you, you're certainly enjoying and experiencing the pathway to that vision. So let's deep dive on what you said there, use the term realism. So could you just explain a bit more about that? Where are we now in your business? What's realistic in terms of goals that you want to achieve? What is realistic is actually very, very easy. We're a, a luxury business. We cut and fit and make suitings, business suit, formal wear to the highest standard available or even attainable. We cut and fit in harmony with body shapes for style, for elegance, for comfort, creating a silhouette that enhances the body, enhances the human figure. It is sartorial art so that when our customers wear what we make, it is like wearing sculpture in cloth. It is not a piece of uh, beautiful artwork that's hanging on a wall. This is not a piece of sculpture that's in solid material, it's in a public place. It is a piece of sartorial art that our customers are portraying out in the world. 
So it is very, very important that we are producing the finest quality men's business suits and women's business suits. And so it's a luxury item that is very, very labor intensive. It takes us a minimum of 105 hours to make a suit. And that could run up to 240 hours for our ultra bespoke service. So both of the lines of clothing that we do are semi-bespoke and ultra-bespoke. And they're pretty expensive and they're pretty time-consuming. So they, well, sometimes I say expensive if you can't afford it, but sometimes you can't afford not to because projecting this right satural image is important for business. And as I said, being a luxury item, it means that the marketplace is shrinking. We face some degree of competition, if you like, and some might say threat from the cheaper throwaway clothing that leaves an enormous carbon footprint. What we create is style and elegance to outlast fashion. It's an expression of one's individuality. It is not following fashion. Fashion is a moving target that changes from season to season. And the objective is so that you'll always, or for a very short time, you'll be in fashion, but you'll very often be out of fashion, so you can go out and buy something new. So fashion really is to discredit what you have, so you can go out and buy something new. Whereas style is everlasting. Elegance is everlasting. It's an expression of your personality, your lifestyle, your career. And so being at the luxury end of the market, that is another challenge, is, is finding the customers, and I like to say customers as opposed to, to clients, because I believe that you know they come to us for us to offer them a custom service. And so th that is the, the area, being a luxury product that is pretty comprehensive. It is something that I feel that is a shrinking market and for those who aspires to project the right image for business that's the clientele that we want to to meet to come and have our, our garments uh, made especially for them you know you've got to think in terms of it's only your body has been into this clothing it's a concept we start with selecting a piece of cloth creating a three-dimensional form with it and uh, it's a vision that you have to have as well as a customer of what it's going to look like when it's finished because we do not use fashion books. We don't use any other influences of what we've done. It's a conversation. It's a consultancy of what image you wish to project. And we design and make in our minds as to what is relevant to your purpose. So you just described there that you're, you're an artist. You're making sculptures almost walking sculptures and you're producing art for your customers who you custom these suits for to wear so they're almost like walking art artifacts and you mentioned that it's a labor-intensive industry so your suits take between 105 to 240 hours and it's a shrinking marketplace because it's very high-end and it's very luxurious and it's very elegant and 
you want people to have the sense of style and elegance, so they're basically dictating fashion as opposed to following it. And going back to your original aim for today's conversation, what goal would you like to achieve that you think is realistic, given all that all of that background? I think it's very realistic for us to be able to reach an audience that values and appreciates the importance of projecting the way they present themselves, be it for an interview, could be a first interview from a, a, for a university graduate, could be business meetings, could be presentations, to look as though you have some degree of respect and appreciation for your business acquaintances that you present yourself properly. And by properly, I mean in, in a business suit. The accepted form of a business suit is similar to, to what you would see in, in magazines and newspapers and television news constantly. What, what has changed a little bit is that uh, men are wearing more sports jackets and blazers for business and it's become acceptable. But it's still a formalized cut and fit. And that is what is important. So it's reaching the the audience that really values the importance of being well-dressed. Let's get a bit granular. So you mentioned before that you effectively had no business for two years. Your custom base at the moment, what's the situation now? Well, I'm happy to say that it's turning around handsomely because rather like travel, those of us who've been subjected to our you know, imprisoned at home for a very long time. It meant that when travel opened up, the airports and flights were full and overbooked. And to some extent, it's the same with how people dress and present themselves. They're anxious to go out and, and have something new. And so business have actually turned around handsomely. Our year finishes on the 30th of April, and our, the year has just been completed, uh, 2021-22, business began to pick up handsomely. And I'm, I'm really pleased to see that. I feel very optimistic, actually. The realism part of it is how do we go up there and uh, the business that we've lost, the customers whom we've lost in that period because of for whatever reason, it's how do we replace those and how we continue to build and expand from that that is where it's at. And it's, it's very, very new for us to be offering a semi-bespoke service because I pride myself in being ultra-bespoke for so many decades. But the semi-bespoke service that we're offering now is a way of trying to reach a new market with a more affordable product. So it sounds that things aren't all doom and gloom. You, you said that your business is picking up handsomely. The challenge that you want to address is how to get back the customers that you lost. So that's the first challenge. And the second, it seems that you've been quite innovative and you've done something that you haven't done before. You've set up this new semi-bespoke line. So I'm getting the sense that you, you perhaps, I don't know, please tell me if you're wrong, you, you may want to explore where those opportunities are. Most certainly want to explore those opportunities. What I've done is started a new business during COVID as well. I have more than 450 videos that I made teaching the skills of a master tailor, how to cut, how to fit, 
how to do the tailoring of a, a gentleman's three-piece suit, single-breasted, double-breasted suits, corpulent, those with a large tummy, those with very different figurations, and so diagnosis and remedy of problems. So it's a pretty, pretty comprehensive range of study that one can do online. So that is a new business. And, and I've, got, I've got students in, in nine countries at the moment on that. The semi-bespoke service is the service that I, I want to be able to kick off. Uh, in fact, I am currently in Bermuda to kick off that service here because we're in a tropical environment and I wanted to, to challenge ourselves to create the lightest weight suits for men and women to wear during the summertime. And then it's much less challenging for all the year round business suits and winter clothing and so on. But, uh, you know, the, a lot of our customers come from all over the world and they're in tropical environments and they want lighter and lighter suits. Today, I'm wearing a very, very light sports jacket for my next meeting. It is really trying to, to reach out to those around the world who can have a, an affordable, even though it's so affordable, it's not cheap because I wouldn't want to put the Morris Sedwell label on something that's made in a country in a sweatshop. So we've been training our tailors in the last uh, three years or so to produce the highest standard of something that I'll be proud of, the highest standard of craftsmanship on a, a more affordable line. Thank you, Andrew. And you mentioned you've got another meeting and I'm quite respectful of your time. Which of those three avenues would you like to talk about in the next, say, 30 minutes that we have now, 20 to 30 minutes? So you mentioned the first one, how to get back your lost customers. The second one was the semi-bespoke line that you're, which is new that you're exploring. And the third is your new business where you have 450 videos teaching people how to essentially tailor. Which one of those three would you like to explore? If I had to choose one out of the three, I would choose not so much to get back those whom we've lost, but to reach a new audience for bespoke tailoring. Thank you. And what options are available for you now, do you think, to reach out to the new audience? The options that are available is literally taking a plane to go to work instead of a train. You know, it is going out to see my customers all over the world or my potential customers to do small trade shows or what you might call trunk shows. So take my patterns, to take my tape measured, my chalk, my pins, and go out to see my customers. I fitted a customer here uh, yesterday and, and, uh, and the day before, literally have them in my hotel room and did their, their fittings. It's really going out and how do I reach those new customers who value and can afford to have their suits made? It is how do I reach them? It's exploring how do we get to those customers. So far, we do not advertise or market our business. It's almost, I would say, 100% in referrals. We get written about, we get covered a lot in, in, in recent times. Potential customers do their research before they actually go to visit a tailor. I'm actually 
not waiting for the customers to come to me. I'm actually going to my customers. So it's much more efficient for them. They don't have to spend the time to come to me. For instance, if you were based in the UK, it'll probably take you an hour to come to me. It'll just, you spend an hour with me and another hour to get back to your office. You've spent three hours of your day and you've got to do that at least four times. So, you know, we, we can give you 12 hours of your business day by coming to see you. Those, those four visits, you know, the consultancy initially, the first fitting, the second fitting, and then the final fitting. Those minimum of four visits is very, very valuable to my customers. So what I do now, I go to see my customers. So I save them a minimum of 12, 12 hours. And, you know, if they, if they are earning money by the hour, it's actually a suit that's paid for itself just by virtue of the time you've saved. And so going out and reaching those customers and really communicating what I have just said to them, what we do, maybe I said, you know, if it's expensive, it's because you can't afford it. And I also said, you can't afford not to. So if you'd look at, at dollars and cents, pounds and pence, uh, whatever your currency is, you would find that the time that you save for going out shopping and your tailor coming to your home or to your office is very, very valuable to you in more ways than one. It's saving you money. So it sounds like the option you've explored so far is going out to your customers and that saves them a lot of time. Could you just explore what's getting in the way of getting these new customers, which is your ultimate goal here? What is actually getting in the way is that our customers do not read magazines or newspaper or media advertising. Therefore, in our experience, advertising has very little point. If we did a ready-to-wear collection and we were aiming for the 18 to 25-year-olds, that read magazines and look at social media a lot and so on, then that's, a, that's another market. That I have very little interest in that market. I am more interested in the mature customers who want to dress well. And what is actually getting in the way is how do you reach them? You cannot just go knock on the doors and say, look, here I am. Very, very often you got to go through their secretary, or they got to go through their peer. You got to go through other people to get to them. And those others are the ones who make the decisions. And very often, those who make those decisions by creating the wall that prevents you from climbing over, they're not making the right decisions because they, they have not consulted with the person whom they are working for as to whether they want to be, a, they want to meet this tailor or they want to be or they're interested even in having something new made. Those are the challenges that we face. How do you get over that brick wall that peers tend to put in the way? Or even, you know, even stylists who consult for others and the stylists to determine who it is they want to go to. The other challenge that we face is that uh, because we cut and fit in harmony with the body shape, for comfort and for style, it means if there is a waiting list, you got to wait. It takes us a long time. Those many hours of work can be translated in up to three months. And if I 
have a customer who's abroad and it takes more than three months to actually produce the end product. Because I, you know, for instance, if I travel to the United States, I go three, four, five times a year and I would be doing first fitting, second fitting uh, and final fittings and measurements actually initially. So that, you know, you've got four visits there. So you got to see me four times over a period of 12 months. So the wait time could be as much as between six, nine to 12 months. So these are the obstacles that we face. We cannot produce this beautiful piece of sartorial art if we rush it. In fact, we prefer not to have, we prefer to have fewer customers ordering multiple suits and we focus on working for fewer customers rather than having many hundreds of customers uh, having one outfit each and finding ourselves overworked and not being able to focus on what we're doing. So the real challenge is really how do you navigate your way into the office to the home of a high net worth individual? And have you got a target number for those high net worth individuals? Indeed. We want to meet in the next uh, 12 months we want to meet very, very few. We need to meet just three new customers per month, only three. That's, well, you know, an accurate calculation is 36. But if we were to have between 30 and 50 new customers per year, that we'll be happy with that because what we can then do is focus on delivering excellence, continue our focus on delivering excellence, as well as once those customers had one business suit made or one outfit made, more than 90% of our customers return. The 10% that don't, it's because it's a special occasion. Might be a wedding, might be attending a special occasion, may have to be a special presentation. Whatever, that's just about 10%, but most of our customers return again and again and again. So I set very modest targets of one new customer. I used to set one new customer a week. That was my target. It hasn't changed. So between 36 and 50 customers, between 30 and 50 customers, whatever it might be, because I feel confident that those customers will become repeat customers. So 30 to 50 new customers within 12 months. Yes. And just to recap your current method of getting to those customers there's no advertising so you go to trade fairs um you said the gatekeepers are pas yeah yeah what other avenues do you think you could explore apart from pas and trade fairs? the other avenue to explore is what i've been doing we are the only upper floor tailor on cyber Road. we do not have a show window we have to rely on referrals We've got to rely on our presence with a website, the morrissedwell.com website. And I think that perhaps the way forward is the referrals and being able to get through to potential customers. And you mentioned that you're not targeting the younger audience or social media. What's the rationale for not targeting these mature customers who are high net worth through social media? Well, I can't say that I've got a very good reason for it. It is that um, the customers whom I have, 
I don't see them looking at, or, and, and those whom I've spoken to, they hardly ever even use WhatsApp. They don't use Facebook or Instagram, by and large. That's, that's my experience with those whom I've, I've spoken to. I may be speaking to the wrong persons, but where I find more success is that I've got my own YouTube channel, the Maurice Sedwell YouTube channel. I tend to put up more technical stuff there. I've had almost a million viewers on a, a video of me talking about my style, talking about the tools of my trade. I would guess a very high percentage of those who watch those videos are already in, in some way related to the clothing industry to get a, a million views on that. I've got a video on how I saw on a button that's got about a quarter of a million views uh, in the last, uh, in less than 12 months. And that suggests very strongly uh, those are persons who are looking at those videos, uh, persons who are in the business. I've got a video that talks about my style, my signature styles, because my style on Savile Row is very, very unique. We've taken the gentleman's suit and we've personalized the design in such a way that no other tailor copies it. Because if they do, it would look like a Maurice Sedwell or an Andrew Ram design. So no one, fortunately, no one copies it on Saddle Row. That's not to say in future it will become the norm, I would guess. Social media is probably a way to go, but um, the product that we, we make, it has a price point. You know, our suits in US dollars is around $8,000 for our ultra bespoke. It starts at $8,000 for the ultra bespoke, and it starts at $4,000 for our semi bespoke. So it's not cheap. And I find that um, most of the persons whom I'm in contact with, they don't use social media. And, and I say because social media is for cheap and it's not personal. It's not sitting around a, a coffee table and having a conversation. It's, it's too detached. And our business is, is very tactile. You know, it, it's, not a, it's not a distant business. So it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, you're almost at a roadblock because you've got two methods of reaching out to these high net worth individuals. One is word of mouth. And the second is trying to get through to their PAs or stylists and you can't. So how do you think you can reach this new audience of high net worth individuals if you are at this roadblock with these two things straight in front of you? I think perhaps if I knew the answer, then I would probably action what I, I think the answer is. So what I focus now is, is simply talking about the importance of having referrals to my existing customers. That's how I do it now. I, I don't have the answer as to, to how to reach those other customers. Uh, I use myself as an example. I get a lot of emails, a lot of junk emails. And if I don't rec recognize the sender or the subject line, I delete it because I get a, 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 an enormous amount of junk mail and so does everyone else. So I think direct mailing is not for us. I use myself as that example of, of how I respond to direct mail. Thank you. And just to clarify, um, the coaching conversation, I know this is the first time you've been coached, is to get to those difficult questions where you haven't got the answers, to dive a bit deeper to see if we can think of creative solutions. And you mentioned referrals there. 
To what extent has that been successful since the end of the two years where you essentially had no business? That's the lifeblood of our business. Absolutely. On the 1st of September, I'm in Miami seeing one customer for a fitting. I'm spending one night there, but he's referred two others. And uh, that is very important. I'm just going for one night, but it, um, I'm seeing three people and three persons who, who are possibly going to order multiple business suits. It's well worth the exercise. Then I go to, to Michigan from there, and I'm meeting several others. And two persons that I, that I work for in Michigan, I'm meeting at least a dozen of his acquaintances. And then I fly back to Houston. All this is within a period of four nights, you know, one in Miami, two nights in Michigan, and uh, one night in uh, Houston. And in Houston, I'm seeing four persons in that, that one day that I'm there. And they are referrals. So the referral business is working and having what I would count as several new customers in one trip is extremely valuable. And these are ultra-bespoke customers. These are not the semi-bespoke customers. So if we go back to the start of this conversation, your goal was to find a realistic goal of getting to this new audience of high net worth individuals. And it seems that you've got the answer there already. You've got the referrals. So to what extent have you actually set out what we tried to attain at the start of this conversation of actually knowing a path to get more high net worth individuals? The referrals are, are valuable, but there is a wealth of persons, individuals out there that we're not reaching. There's an enormous amount of potential out there that we're not reaching. Although I mentioned it's the fewer customers that we need, it's not coming in, in the droves, but uh, it's really the life of a customer when they are young and they've got a mortgage before they start a family, but they've got a mortgage and they've got other commitments. It's having a small number of suits made. And when they get involved with family and deeper into mortgage and, and so on, then they disappear. Not completely, they continue occasionally. Thereafter, they've paid off their mortgage, their children's are finished their school onto university, then you find to some extent a return in their 40s. So it's, it's the 25 to 30 year olds and then from the 40 upwards. So that's the kind of age in my many years of experience. Those are the ages of our customers. We do have a few that's in their early 20s, but they're very few. And more often than not, the, the younger ones, their fathers are actually paying for their first suits. You know, it might be an interview suit or it may be they're setting them up for uh, in their first jobs and so on. So th that's the, the profiling of, of our customers. And if someone I say is profiling, that is, it's a modern word, but it is my experience. Those are the sort of customers we have. What I want to dig into is how do we reach those that are out there? It's not like building a luxury car and putting it out into all different areas and it being seen. You're getting me, James, to, to think about which is very useful for me. You're getting me to, to vocalize a lot of my thoughts. And I'm thinking now that perhaps making a video on the journey of the suit from the sheep's back 
to a person's back, from shearing the sheep, combing the wool, spinning the cloth, cutting the suit, hand-making it, doing the fitting and delivering the suit. I think if you've done anything today, James, I think um, that's a narrative I want to explore. I'm going to go completely out of coaching mode now. And as you know, I've studied art and design at the Royal College of Art. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. And that's a, yeah. Yep. And um, that that concept you've done there is just a really beautiful concept. I would suggest also combining that with the narrative you gave of the life of a suit with the life of the, the person wearing it and mentioned those years that you did. You can do the, both things in parallel and say, okay, young people, sometimes their parents buy them the suit because they haven't got much money or they're splashed out because they haven't got commitments, but then they come back when they're in their 40s. So you can do in one side the life of the suit and then the other the life of the person wearing the suit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That might be interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge you on a couple of things that you've mentioned before. The first one is you said you don't, want to explore getting back lost business so i'd like to challenge you on that and question what's the rationale for doing that and the the second one as well is you've just said that you you do have young people like they they only do like one or two suits before they get commitments but it's still an active audience and you said you don't want to target social media but from what it seems is that audience is into social media so just on those two things, can I just challenge you on those assumptions? Like, What's the rationale for not going back to your old customers and trying to get them back? Well, it's not a matter of not going back to them. I do communicate to those customers. I, I actually write rhymes and send it out to those customers. You know, I, I write a, a short poem and I send out and uh, encourage them to return. Many do come back. In fact, our last year's business has been, has been good. And it is, I would say, very, 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 very few new customers. They are some of the older customers, but a number of them have moved on. And a, lo- a number of them, the business has been seriously affected. And uh, some whose business has been affected, their suits are still hanging up on Savile Row. They can't afford, they haven't got the means to collect them. And that's, that's a problem. Well, it's not a serious problem, but it is a problem. So getting new blood into the business is what what I would consider to be a high priority. Uh, What was the other question? My other one was you mentioned younger people who just get maybe one suit or their parents buy them the suit, but you don't want to target social media. My challenge is it seems that that audience is into social media. So if you want to expand that, Perhaps for the long term, when they do come back, when they're in the 40s, for example, that might be one. Yeah, it's not so much that I don't want to do social media. It is that social media is very often cheap products, cheaper products. So, you know, that, that, is, that is my experience. But, you know, I, you know, I could be persuaded otherwise. With my creative hat on, with your creative hat on, how could you make social media suit your luxury brand? I think probably drip feeding the information, if I can describe it that way, in, uh, as I just said, that, uh, that journey of the suit, creating an, a narrative, a video narrative of the journey, so to try and capture an audience that will want to continue looking. And when I say social media, I'm really meaning Instagram and Facebook. I put out a lot of my work on Instagram. 
more of my, my work rather than my family on Instagram. My wife is a master tailor, and so am I. So, you know, we, we both have the, the knowledge and experience. So I, I perhaps, um, and, and my wife is um, not only beautiful, but she's a lot younger than I am. And so perhaps I should be speaking to her about that as well. So I'm noticing a shift happening here. There's a, a new sense of awareness of how your business can potentially move forwards through social media. My other question is, you also said this is another challenge to you. With your permission, I'm going to challenge you. You said your target audience is the mature man because they, they have more money. To what extent do you think there are young people who are high net worth individuals and where do you think they may be? Well, a lot of the high net worth young persons have been influenced by Zuckerberg because uh, he's, he's, he's a T-shirt, proponent of T-shirts. You know, he's, 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 not, he's not a, you know, a pinnacle of satirical excellence at all. And when you see wealthy young people presenting themselves in a certain way, you, know, you go to the Silicon Valley. I mean, uh, I've got a few customers who actually live and work in that environment, but they are a tiny, tiny, less than of 1%, a tiny minority. And so when young people look at those who they aspire or who inspires them, or who they aspire to be like, they're not suit wearers. So with all of those th thoughts in mind, but, you know, I, I could be persuaded to go on to uh, do some kind of social media activity. I put out on LinkedIn, for instance, uh, pictures of what I'm doing or short videos of what I'm doing, occasionally uh, tweet. And I tweet much less, much less. I hardly ever tweet, actually. But, you know, Instagram is the only one that I use uh, to, to show my work. Andrew, you, you mentioned that you're close to retirement and you've got a young family. What other challenges do you think going forwards there? Well, retirement is just uh, a word. I mean, in my mind and my activity will not retire, but I have got to be very conscious that at age 70, I have to be securing the future of those who work within our company. They've got mortgages, they've got families, and it's important that we think about them. And uh, myself, even having a young family, a three-year-old and nine-month-old, I got to make sure that the future of Maurice Edward Limited and Cyber Rural Academy and the arts online courses are providing a meaningful future for them. So that, that is an important part for me thinking about the future. So what, what you're doing, James, here is that you're rekindling my business acumen and encouraging me to be thinking differently, to certainly being more uh, action-orientated and not uh, sitting uh, in the comforts of, of what successes that we've had in the past. So it sounds like on one side you've got legacy, but also you've got practicalities of providing for your family going forwards. What's your plan at the moment? Well, the plan is uh, not just to continue what I'm doing, but to help build value in the company. And after we've done our semi, and we have our semi-bespoke service up and running and being successful, because what actually, one of the reasons why that has been prompted 
it's because we turned down a lot of business around a $4,000 or £3,500 mark. We turned down a lot of it because it costs us that to produce an ultra-bespoke suit. So basically, we'll be doing the, the customer a favor, so it was never a, a, an area. But having spent a year's training and the time actually training those who I want, to training to the standards that I will be proud of to put our name on, now that's, that's coincidentally coming in, into fruition, literally uh, now as we speak, uh, we're taking commissions on that. Now that, that will secure the future. And then to build up on that in other luxury product, because I would want Maurice Sedwell to become known as uh, an LVMH, as a Hermes, as you know, uh, Ferragamo, all of the Italian brands that are so well known. There isn't an English luxury brand apart from, uh, there is one, I, I probably, you think about Harrods that have lots of different brands, but Harrods is a brand by itself, but they carry lots of other brands within under their roof. So there, there aren't many luxury English brands. I mean, if you think about vacuum cleaners, you'll think of, of Dyson now. But when it comes to, to fashion and clothing, there, there are very, very, very few English luxury brands. We can go in two directions here. One is to explore how you build the brand to make it an Hermes or a Gucci or an LMVH. The other one is to go down your personal route and say what, what your legacy plans or when, when do you want to take a step back and leave the business to run for itself? Which would you like to explore? I'd like to think I have a, a three, five, seven, and 10-year plan in my head. Uh, the, the idea of retiring does not appeal to me, but what, what appeals to me is taking it easy, mm. empowering others to take the mantle and, and get on with it and see, see the future of the business from, from younger eyes. So I'm very open-minded to that. I can actually let go very, very easily. In fact, I do it now. I do it now. I live in Trinidad. I leave the business uh, for probably six months in the year, albeit intermittently. So I empower others to, to carry on. But I am very much a face of the business, and uh, I, that does not please me very much. So on my future trips, I should be taking a colleague with me so the new customers begin to very, very early see a new face or see another, another face. And once that begins to happen more frequently, then I can, I can then empower whoever my, my colleague uh, turns out to be, to be the one that actually takes over. That is what I see as, as the future. So we had a very interesting conversation today. It started off with how you get back after the pandemic and it ended with how you leave your legacy. And it sounds like you said you've got the seven, 10, five year plan in your head. So it sounds like everything we've discussed today has been in your head, but the value you got out of today is just to verbalize it and just hear it back to yourself as well. Absolutely. The three year plan, for instance, uh, is the, the semi-bespoke service. Now that we have that up and running, it's really to expand and develop that. So we will become known for having the two services. Now we're known for ultra bespoke um, and handmade, hand cut, and so on. The, the semi bespoke is also handmade, 
but it's 50% handmade, not the 90-70% that we do with ultra-bespoke. And the five to seven-year plan, it's really uh, linked to those whom I'm training at the Cyber Rural Academy is to train them and give them employee opportunities so they can walk into a job when they're finished or they can go out and do their own thing or from those from abroad because I've trained students in 15 countries is to give them an opportunity to purchase a partnership with us partnership, not a franchise, a partnership with us, so they can have a Maurice Sedwell standard of service within their own country. So that'll be offered to students broader. Uh, that's like the five to seven year plan. And the, the seven to 10 year plan is really taking Maurice Sedwell globally, but providing all sorts of outer and underwear to become really the, the, the finest luxury items you can purchase, whether it's an umbrella, you know, whether it's uh, a Morris Sedwell design polo shirt or top coat or handbag. You know, you think about Michael Kors, uh, you think of Jimmy Choo. Now, Jimmy Choo is now doing clothing. Now, I would, I would step on Jimmy Choo's shoes and start doing luxury shoes you know footwear or we say boot makers so it's really expanding and developing the the morris sedwell brand and the idea you know micro cause is now cause it's not micro cause but i i like the idea of saying with morris sedwell it sounds more personal it sounds like an individual it sounds like it's someone you go to you know and that's not to say like in in, in 70 years time that it won't be said well. You really never know what's going to happen in the future. My son is Andrew Jr. And you look at him and you say, oh, I thought you were a lot older than you are, you know. So, you know, it's uh, you exploring ideas and opportunities. Uh, it's really for those who come in the future. Is there anything else that you would like to discuss today? I think Japan, because the Japanese customers that we've had in the past are those who's actually resided in London temporarily, have been here, uh, been there on, on, on business for a few years, and they were customers. And so when they went back home, they continued being customers, but they liked the idea of the tailor's visit and the fitting. And so if we can explore opportunities in meeting new customers out there, I think that that would be useful. So to summarize today's session, Andrew, at the beginning, you said that you essentially had no business for two years. Prior to that, you had business in 60 countries, but that essentially shut down because of COVID. We talked through what goals you wanted to achieve, and you were looking for a realistic goal. You said your business is very labor intensive. It takes between 105 to 240 hours to make a suit. It's a shrinking marketplace because trends have changed and people have been affected badly by the economy. And then you mentioned that there were three potential avenues that we could explore. One was how to get back, replace or get new business. The second was your new semi-bespoke line. The third was you've got this new business where you put out 450 videos. 
We had a look at the potential to get new customers. You mentioned you're targeting the mature person who you get through referrals and there are roadblocks either through their PAs or their stylists. The main business you get is through referrals. And then it seems like you're going to take all of this back and maybe talk to your wife to think about how you could put out more content to say have the life of a suit depicted in a video. Finally, we touched on legacy planning and how you will contemplate providing opportunities for the next generation. So Andrew, what are your key takeaways from today's session? I think you stimulated me into, into vocalizing uh, my thoughts and encouraging me to, to look at social media. I think you've done that in a very subtle way by just asking, why not? And I don't think I had a very, very convincing response. I knew my response was factual, but uh, I think the modern man perhaps thinks differently. So looking at the possibility of using social media, especially uh, LinkedIn, and even tweeting more often what I do. And have you got a timeline for this? What are your next steps for implementing all of this? And who are you going to talk to? I should certainly have a timeline. I should have a, a weekly meeting with my colleagues. And, uh, you know, my wife is a director of a company, but, you know, I speak to her several times a day especially when I'm traveling, um, is really to have these conversations with my wife and my colleague in a more focused, meaningful way as to the future of the business. I think that's what I need to be urgently starting. Excellent. So your new takeaways are you verbalized what was in your head and you found that very useful. And I challenged you to ask why, why aren't you using social media? And you're going to take that back with your team and look at ways of how you might be able to implement that potentially. Yep, indeed. Excellent. Thank you ever so much, Andrew. I know you're a very busy man. We really appreciate you being here on the Plus Future podcast. Very good. It's, thank you for asking me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure and, and it certainly has been a learning experience for me. Excellent. Thank you very much, Andrew. Very good. Take good care of yourself. Thank you, you too. What an incredible episode. They say coaching is like a plate of spaghetti. There are lots of topics or pieces of spaghetti to choose from, and you take one and see where it ends. There was a lot of spaghetti in that episode. I absolutely loved how Andrew described the artistic aspect of his craft, turning his customers into walking sculptures. But he made the realisation, when he put his actual thoughts into words, that what worked before may not necessarily work now. A lot of the hard work during coaching happens after the session. I suspect Andrew is now pondering the questions I asked and is thinking about whether what he said was actually going to help him achieve his ultimate goal of creating a sustainable legacy. Thank you for joining and leave your comments in the usual places. I always reply. 